here this morning to talk about the last in the group of parables, or the last section of the group of parables in Matthew. My first question for you this morning is this. I wonder what you would consider to be your greatest treasure. Is there anything that you would consider to be truly precious? Anyone who has known me for any amount of time knows knows that I had a somewhat difficult and complicated upbringing, estranged from my family, the proverbial black sheep, I was at best disliked and certainly not considered any part of family lineage. However, through the grace of God and the righteous changing power of Jesus Christ through the works of the Holy Spirit, I am able to stand before you today and share with you something that I consider to be truly precious. I panicked a bit when I saw that uh, Hazel's glasses were in the same case. I foresaw disaster. These are my great-grandfather's rosary beads. I found out recently that his name was James Phillips. He was an Irish Catholic and a soldier in the Irish Guards who served in the war in India. He is my great-grandfather on my mother's side and the father of my late grandmother and lapsed Catholic, Mary. They have no monetary value. They are cheaply made, and in all honesty, they are not even particularly attractive to look at. I will see if I can hang them. The answer to that is no. You have all seen them. I'm not sure you can see them from the back anyway. Despite all of this, despite the lack of worth, the lack of craftsmanship, and the lack of beauty, they hang on the wall of my bedroom in pride of place and are something I feel truly blessed to look upon every day. To me, they are priceless, not because of their value, but because of what they represent. You see, for me, they are a constant reminder of the almost infathomable changes God has made in my life. The incalculable changes God has made in me, to me, Dave, the man that stands before you today. You see, at one point in time, there was no way my mother would have ever trusted me with her grandfather's rosary beads. In fact, the truth is, she would have hidden them away disturbed at the mere notion of me touching them. Because, quite honestly, the long and the short of it is this. She didn't particularly like me, and she certainly did not trust me. But such is the glory of God that he can take a wretched sinner as lost as I was. And through his grace and mercy, bring him to new life in Christ Jesus. And transform his life so dramatically that all 
even those who do not have faith in Jesus can see. And so when my grandmother died a few years ago, my mother passed down my great-grandfather's rosary beads to me. In fact, she gave them to me with her blessing at my grandmother's wake. And so to me, they are not merely a family heirloom, but a tangible physical representation of the changes God has made in my life. But despite all of this, despite how truly precious they are to me, I can say in all honesty and with 100% certainty that I would give them up in a second if it meant securing my place in heaven. The fact is that despite the fact that I love them, and I do love them, despite the fact that they are truly, truly precious to me, I would cast them aside without a second thought for the treasure of the kingdom. And so, first of all, this morning we are going to be looking at Matthew 13, 44, 46, the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. You will find these on page 980 in your blue Bibles. These two short but nevertheless poignant parables go together wonderfully to stress the incalculable value of the kingdom of heaven. It is worthy of any and all sacrifice. But they also both stress the great cost of gaining that treasure. It will cost all we have, all we are. We read in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So the treasure is found by a poor man. In fact, he comes across it by accident. There he was going about his daily tasks, plodding along, if we're completely honest, probably quite bored and tired as he persevered with the daily grind. Today's task, plowing the field. And then suddenly his plowshare hits a box. He needs to remove the box from his path to continue to plow straight, to do a proper job. And so he digs it up. Curiosity peaks, he opens it, looks inside, and what does he find? Precious jewels cascade from the box. Too many to count. Understandably, he is elated. We hear with which the passion that lottery players talk about the prospect of winning. Well, times that by a thousand, and we start to understand this man's excitement. So what does he do? He quickly reburies it, and he goes at once and sells all that he has so that he can go and buy the field in which the treasure is buried. Maybe that seems a little bit ethically dubious by our modern-day standards. But on the contrary, not so by the Jewish law. In Jewish law, if a man found scattered money, it belonged to that man. 
It belonged to the finder. This was the teaching of the rabbi. Therefore, the point of the parable is clear. Some people discover the worth of the kingdom by accident. They are plodding along, plowing the familiar furrows of life, when suddenly, against all odds, against all expectation, they find treasure. What a fantastic illustration of discovering Jesus, especially discovering Jesus by accident. A fantastic metaphor explaining the realization that he is worth any sacrifice to secure. And so we continue on to Matthew 13, 45 to 46, the parable of the pearl. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So here, in contrast, we see the pearl of great value is found by a wealthy man, a merchant. He comes across the pearl not by accident, but after a long and persistent search. A pearl expert by profession. He knew perfection when he saw it. And he knew when he saw this pearl that he had never before seen true perfection. There are other pearls in the market. We know there are other things of great value but none is to be compared with the pearl of great value. None can even come close. A truly inspiring picture of the kingdom and the king. This is how some people find the kingdom of God. They try many faiths, many ideologies, and they gain much from them in the process. But one day they find the loveliest thing in all the world, which, by the way, was how ancient cultures regarded a particularly fine pearl. And they give all they have, all they can to gain it. So the message of these two parables is clear. People find the kingdom, find faith, find God. They find Jesus in many ways, some by accident, and some after long and patient, sometimes even painful, searching. But it is unbelievably worthwhile. However it comes, however we find it, faith is an immeasurable gift. The gift of Jesus, it is a most beautiful pearl. And it is worthy of any sacrifice. And so we come to our third and final parable for today. Matthew 13, 47 to 52. And the parable of the net in which we read, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up onto the shore they then sat down and collected all the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and will separate the wicked from the righteous 
and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So if the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl speak to us about the process of coming to faith, this dynamic parable challenges us in the perseverance of that faith until the last day. Where will we stand then? For this parable is all about judgment. And not just judgment, but separation. All the way through the book of Matthew, the message of salvation is underpinned constantly by consistent perseverance. It is clear from Matthew's writings, we must be righteous if we wish to live with the righteous one. There are no shortcuts. Life in Christ is exactly that. Life in Christ. It's true, our church is imperfect. We have an imperfect church because it is made up of flawed and imperfect beings. As we have seen recently when Hazel brought us the message in Matthew 13, 24, 30 and the parable of the weeds. We read, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weed among the wheat and then went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. We should not expect a perfect world or even a perfect church here on our fallen earth. But we cannot in our earthliness make the final judgment now on who is and isn't a real Christian, on who isn't, isn't a true Christian, on who is and isn't really saved. And we shouldn't. That day will come. God will make his decision. We know that there are weeds among us. But God will make that final separation. It is not yet. It will be when the net of the kingdom is drawn to shore. And as we have read, then and only then will the angels come and separate the wicked from the righteous. It will be God who does the sorting then, not people now. And that sorting will not only be just and righteous, but it will be final and permanent. 
God will decide who is wicked and who is righteous. And his angels will throw the wicked into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the righteous will ascend on to heaven to stand in the presence of God in his holy city. Where will I stand on that day? That is the real question. The question we need to be asking ourselves continually. Where will I stand on that day of judgment? With the wicked or with the righteous? And so just as the series of parables in Matthew begins with the rejection of God by human souls, it ends with a rejection of human souls by God. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Scary concept. And finally today we come to Matthew 13. 51 to 52. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. It's important to remember that Jesus does not come simply to erase all that we have learned and gained in our lives before we knew him. On the contrary, sometimes he comes to enrich what we've learned, enrich it and use it for his cause, the building of his kingdom, his people, the building of his family. just as those newly converted teachers of the law would take their vast knowledge of the Old Testament teachings and use it in the proclaiming of the new way, the way of salvation through Jesus Christ in the service of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So do we take those lessons and those mistakes, those mistakes we have made in our life before we had the gift of faith. And through the loving kindness, the grace, the guidance and enrichment of God, through the unending power of His grace, we're able to use them in service of His kingdom. And so, my challenge for you, ladies and gentlemen, today is this. If the day of judgment comes tomorrow, where do you stand? Are you standing with the wicked? Or are you standing with the righteous? Are you destined for heaven? Or destined for the pit? Maybe a better question is this. What is it that you truly treasure? Treasure above all else. Is it cars, money, 
houses, status, power? Or is it God, Jesus, and your relationship with him? Are your greatest treasures earthly treasures that are fleeting and will one day return to the dust from which they came? Or are your treasures the kingdom treasures? Treasures that will never fade, never fail, never tarnish, never rust or rot away. Are your greatest treasures the treasures of heaven? The treasures of the kingdom? The treasures of God? And the salvation that lies there within? Or are your greatest treasures earthly treasures? Treasures leading you away from God and away from his kingdom. Leading you towards destruction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you opened your arms and welcomed us into your kingdom. We pray that you will keep us in constant perseverance of your true religion of the faith that you so generously gave to set us free. May we set our eyes upon heaven. May we keep our hearts shielded from idolatry and focused on the treasures of your kingdom. Treasures that are given through your grace, love, and kindness to each and every one of us here and all your people in your great congregation. Amen.